0: Welcome back to the Anthony Gordon Show. For um, one or two of you who've not been listening up until now, really the genesis of the show started with uh, a number of conversations that I had actually with some mutual friends of ours. And um, about it, I would say a year and a half, maybe a couple of years ago, um, speaking to Dennis Prager down at one of the events that we were doing. And the theme was really that there's there's a lot of shows, both uh, the radio and the podcast world, about politics, about uh, certain professions, but shows about life, shows about trying to give people sort of the GPS to navigate through the vicissitudes of this journey called life. There seems to be a dearth of... And the, that was sort of the, the, the catalyst to um, the, the show. And I think that someone like yourself is in many ways the, um, the perfect guest. And it dawned on me as I was sort of thinking about um, a number of questions that I would like to discuss with you and I, I'm sure our listeners would, would very much want to ask you, is that you and I have a bunch of things in common. Um, I think first, we, firstly, we both graduated from Harvard Uh, I I would say that, you know, we both are more of the existential kind of seekers. Mm. Uh, We're both extremely good looking. So um, I think the best place to start, because you are such an interesting kind of guy, um, Harvard grad, went on to NYU, UCLA film, done a bunch of films. But the sort of tone and the the ground I'd, I'd like to set is, if I understand correctly, almost a surprise to yourself was suddenly blowing up on Facebook, north of a million, you know, people suddenly following you. So what I've learned about social media is, no matter what kind of sort of optics one plays, at the end of the day, if you're going to have that amount of folks who are sort of uh, that you're plugging into, there must be something that. You, you and your wife are saying, you and Nina are saying that's resonating. Something's capturing the audience of a lot of folks out there. What do you think that is?
1: Well, first, hi Anthony. How are you doing, <so. laughs> It's good to see you today. Uh, and, and you should tell people where we are. I mean, this is a brilliant studio. We're, we're on the 18th floor of a building in Hollywood, and it's the 18th floor, and there's no accident to that. Yep. And, uh, and you know, so the question is, why did a million people, uh, you know, tune into what we're sharing on Accidental Talmudist every day? Right. And I, I don't know exactly. I don't know what the secret sauce is. Uh, I, I don't think it's me. I I, I think that we created the page in order to share what enthuses us right. about Judaism and about Torah. Yeah, And it's this reservoir of, of wisdom that, that God started for us, but mm-hmm. that we, our people have added to uh, for so many generations over these last 3,500 years. And we try to share it uh, in a way that is authentic to it, to right. Judaism and to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, as vessels for it and we're we're just very open you know I I think people respond to authenticity Uh, and so there's both an authenticity in the you know in in, in the wisdom that's been accumulated uh, and in ourselves just being very open about who we are and what we're trying to do and where we fail and so I think I think that firstly I think that's an accurate summation Mm -hmm. and as someone who
0: uh, sort of has been involved in the speaking circuit myself for 15 something years and Someone once asked me, you know, why is it that um, I've asked to speak at, at a, a lot of events? I think, it, I think it's because people do, at the end of the day, um, want to connect with the real people, substance over form. And it's interesting, I think when, you know, one, one, of the, um, one of the talks that I give quite often is about failure and about mistakes that people made m- make. And one of, the, one of these examples that I cite often is the life of Abraham Lincoln, Abraham ah. Lincoln um, failed multiple times. He ran uh, for, for, local, for local government, failed, ran for Congress, failed, ran for Senate, failed, ran for vice president, and eventually he signed his name as the President of the United States. Tell us a little bit about the, the journey that you guys went on in terms of uh, depicting the life story of Abraham Lincoln
1: as a filmmaker. Uh, that was a, a very uh, up and down journey for us. Uh, it was the first project that Nina and I worked on together. Uh, she's a screenwriter. I'm a writer and director. Okay. And um, and and it was a passion of hers her whole life. When she was six, she found in her parents' house a book of Abraham Lincoln's jokes, and she thought that that's weird. I thought he was this serious <laughs> president who freed the slaves. How could he have a joke book? All right. And uh, it turned out that he was very funny. He loved to laugh and to make people laugh. And and that was part of the inherent contradiction about him right. that made him interesting to her. And, uh, and so she, that, that was a lifelong dream. And when we got together, uh, she had written some screenplays, I had written some screenplays, and we decided to embark on the project of making The Great American Movie. And at that time there had been no Lincoln movie in decades. And we thought he was the perfect subject for The Great American Movie. Um, we spent two years writing and researching our first version of that movie. It was called Lincoln's Hat. Uh, and that was going to be a, a nonfiction sort of? No, meta- it was going to be a, a feature film. I mean, obviously based on a true story, but taking some liberties to fill in conversations and stuff. Not a documentary. Okay. Um, but it actually began with two Jewish hat makers making his hat oh that's hysterical and uh and, and and they were basically saying that this hat will have such a story to tell and that the device the, not gimmick but sort of narrative device of the movie was that even if lincoln was not in every scene his hat would be and the question that was asked was why would such a tall man right and lincoln was a foot taller than the average man a full a full foot right uh and he wore a hat that was an extra foot above that So know, that a, why would such a tall man wear such a tall hat yeah um, we worked on it for two years, and but what, it movie, what the movie really looked at was the relationship between him and his former rivals, who became his cabinet, uh, yep. the members of his cabinet. And uh, and after two years, uh, you know, we completed it. We were very proud of it. Our agents said, "You know, it's a terrible idea for <laughs> unknown writers to try to make a historical epic." Uh, but Lincoln is a brand, and this script is so fine. I think I can sell it to the studios. It was going to go out on a Friday. We hoped for the auction yep. and our, you know, our lives would be changed and our careers made by Monday. But the Wednesday before that Friday, Spielberg announced he has optioned Doris Kearns Goodwin, Pulitzer Prize winning author, her new upcoming oh book on Lincoln. This is 48 hours before 48 the, the hours drum 48 hours before the drum roll, oh exactly. And uh, they already had Tom Hanks attached to star, John Logan, an Oscar winning writer attached to adapt, and so instantly, it wasn't just that our movie wasn't going to get made. It was that our script was radioactive. No one would touch it. No one would read it. Not even as a writing sample. You don't mess with Spielberg. So so at this point, potentially two years for naught. Thrown away. Well wow. Garbage. Uh, and Nina despondent and saying, this is a good lesson to us. Hollywood's not for us. We need yep. to leave. Uh, but I'm just not that type of person. And neither is she, really, despite Pretty her persistent. emotions in that moment. Yeah. And uh, and we ended up making a different movie, an independent movie that no one was gonna stop us, and that was When Do We Eat, our first film, which is about a, a, a psychedelic Seder, Passover Seder. Which turned out, by the way, we'll come back to a cult hit movie. Yes, <clears throat> yes, thank God it has become the Jewish It's a Wonderful Life, yep. people watch it every year. Um, but we never lost that desire to make a Lincoln movie and year after year went by where Spielberg was not making his Lincoln movie. So we would say, well, we've got a script. They're not interested in yours. Well, but he's not making his, so let's make ours. Well, he might make his. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So just because he might go forward with his project, no one would help us make ours. And 10 years went by and uh and there was no evidence that he was ever going to move forward they apparently had this 500 page script uh from their writer and tom hanks left and uh you know there was what's his name uh british actor was attached to play lincoln in between and then eventually it, it went to daniel day lewis but uh but they weren't moving forward and so then i finally said you know what this is ridiculous we got I'm going to gonna make up. a Lincoln movie. Yep. And, uh, and people would say, well, that's, that's nice if you want to make a dinner party movie, you know. Right. But if you want to make a historical epic, <laughs> you can't just <laughs> yeah. do that on an independent budget. And I said, well, I don't like it when people tell me what I can't do. Right. And, uh, and so I invented a, a visual scheme and process called cine collage uh, that would enable us to put our actors inside vintage photographs from the Civil War period. So you have superimposed, so to speak, on a... So in other words, what we would do is we would take a photograph from the period rather than you know spend millions of dollars making sets that right. look like Washington. We just actually took Washington DC from that period. There was beautiful, beautiful black and white photographs. Right, uh, And we would sort of cut them up into elements, arrange them in 3D space and drop our actors Amazing. inside. And so it's a very unique looking movie. And, uh, and then when we finally announced that we were moving forward, I mean, literally within 48 hours, yeah. <laughs> DreamWorks announced that they're going forward with, with their movie, but we announced first. And, um, and at the end of the now we wrote a, and then we wrote a completely new script because we, our focus had been on Lincoln's relationships right, so with yeah. his former rivals. Well, Doris Kearns Goodwin's book was team of rivals. And it was about exactly that subject. I mean, we were onto something when we picked that subject. Clearly. Uh, we didn't know what they were going to do, but we figured they were going to do that. So we did something totally different, and we focused on the friendship between Lincoln and Ward Hill Lamon, mm-hmm. who was his bodyguard, um, who saved his life more than once, and and kept him working the darkest hours, was present for everything, and is considered by history to be an unreliable narrator Interesting. because he's a kind of bombastic, colorful guy that Lincoln really took to Washington. If you're into Howard Stern, you recognize the term. Whackpack.
0: I got it. <laughs> so Lamin was Lincoln's. <laughs> was <whack> pack. Pack.
1: <laughs> and uh, but when they tried to assassinate Lincoln on the way to Washington in 1861, Lamin just stepped into the role of bodyguard. There was no secret service then. He, so just he appointed himself. Self- self-selected, sort self-selected of self-selected president's bodyguard. And say, like I said, saved Lincoln's life more than once and would have saved it at the end had Lincoln not sent him away three days before. Is that right? Yes. And why did Lincoln send Lamin away? see Saving Lincoln, (laughs) Uh, but the amazing thing is that Spielberg, who can do anything and has made incredible movies, Mm -hmm. who had a hundred million dollars, in the end, the story that the Spielberg-Lincoln movie tells is the Civil War is over and Abraham Lincoln, the politician is getting a law passed in Congress, the constitutional amendment to end slavery. Right. But the country already won a war (laughs) to end slavery. So it's just a a kind of legalism. Right. Uh, And only Saving Lincoln covers Abraham Lincoln leading the nation through the Civil War. That's amazing. A tremendous personal cost. That's amazing.
0: So as you talk about low-budget movies, and clearly you're a very creative guy, and I think it's safe to say that both you and I have been around, you know, a lot of Wealthy people, famous people, but I also think it would be true to say that a lot of the people that I guess people place on a pedestal are, are desperately unhappy people, and are confused people. And often, the richer
1: and more powerful, the more
0: unhappy. Right. So there often is an inverse correlation. If I get, if if a genie came out of a, a bottle cell and said he has x hundred million dollars, you're a gifted person in in the movie business, make a movie that you think will have an impact on the millions and millions of primarily millennials that are looking up to a lot of these folks who you know are themselves desperately trying to find direction in life. What type of movie do you think will resonate with this generation
1: well yes you asked two different questions. One is what will resonate with them. And one, but the first question I think you were asking is what will transform their lives? What will, I, guess the, I guess there's two, there's a sub question there. Yeah. Right. Cause I mean, it resonates with them to see a car chase. Movie, That's true. Right. Uh, but something that will touch. So it would have to both entertain right. and transform.
0: So I know? I, I, I know you well enough to know that if you uh, produced, directed a movie that made millions of dollars, but had, was pure escapism i don't think that you'll feel that that's really your calling so assuming money is no and it's such a
1: curse (laughs) (laughs) because if i could just make a zombie movie (laughs) i'd live in a bigger house that's for sure um but but any project that you embark on especially a movie right it takes years there's Mm -hmm. no movie that doesn't take years and, and, and there's many times when that project is going to stop or looks like it's going to fail, looks like it's going to be in the toilet. Right. No one's going to care. No one's going to like it. And what's going to keep you going mm-hmm. in those dark and desperate hours? It has to have meaning. For me, it, no, it has to have meaning. Agreed. Um, I mean, I, I will say that the movie that I would love to see, it's the same question uh, when we say it at it, Sukhoi, who would you invite to your sukkah? Right. Right? Right. I would invite Moses. I mean, I really wish that I had been at Mount Sinai when God revealed God's self to the entire world. And I say that because I I, I don't think that you can really have meaning in your life if you don't have some kind of relationship with your creator. But
0: I, I agree. But that said, we both know that millions and millions of people out there saw Charlton Heston, the late great, playing the protagonist Moses in the Cecil B. DeMille's Mue- De movie and walked out and carried on living their lives. Right. Meaning- Because it was in entertainment. Because it was in entertainment. So how can you have that and plant to see that germinates and people take a step back and say, one second, the the person who wins the rat race is still a rat. I don't want to be a rat. Let yeah. me rethink this and press reboot.
1: I mean, let me ask you this: Is there any movie where you just consume a tale for two hours, and it transforms you? I, I don't know that there is transformation without work. So I'll tell you an interesting. It's a great question. Mm-hmm. So a few weeks ago, I had a, uh, a chat with with
0: Jane Seymour. Jane happened to be very close to Christopher Reeve. Mm-hmm. She told me this is this is the outstanding athlete. He played the protagonist of Superman and then, as we all know, was sadly the victim of this uh, horrible uh, ac- uh, accident and she told me to read his book and she t- said it's genuine. He said the, the the most people that he touched was after the accident. Right. Was then he realized when you take the good looks away and you take, frankly, his motor coordination away he was forced to think and is forced to realize that you know what's it all about and he touched millions of people in his interviews and his work post-accident and that was to me that was a jarring it was a jarring observation thousands and hundreds, millions of people watched superman and they continue their lives and yet when they heard the interactions of you know, Christopher Reeve, this good-looking, outstanding athlete who was, uh, you know, completely paralyzed. I, I haven't read the book. I wonder if he considered it a gift. It's interesting because in, in in the book, which is the most incredibly powerful thing, he he, I think the question was asked in one form or another. Um, if you turn back the clock, and I don't want to misquote him, but but. Uh, Part of his response was the the desire to have the clarity that he had after the accident. Without an accident. Right. right. So the, the message to our listeners is, heaven forbid, you don't have to have a life-changing, jarring accident to realize that we're not here forever. And that in order to have a pur- purposeful, meaningful life, you know, it's not about collecting toys and getting your your, your page in the sense of people's magazine.
1: No, but 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 he's also saying read the book right in other words you can get the clarity yes. that that he earned with so much sacrifice without the sacrifice right. if you take the reading seriously and i yep. think in that sense storytelling is well i mean that's what humans are right we're storytellers and story listeners right um and 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 sometimes we we hear these messages and they don't become meaningful enough to us until we've suffered uh, but please God that we shouldn't have to suffer that much sure. to take the lessons that we can get from a guy like Chris Reeve. So I, I I look at a guy like you that clearly clearly is
0: focused on you know not living a nihilistic life. You, you're the, the the antithesis of a hedonist. Isn't it difficult to be a creative person in this industry and and walk the balance between being putting product out that's commercially viable that makes money that's quasi-entertaining, but at the same breath is going to resonate and change people's lives without
1: selling out. It's the hardest thing. I mean, you know, there's that old saying, I don't know who it was. It was, it was an old Jew, <laughs> maybe Jack Warner. said, if you want to send a message, call Western Union. <laughs> right. You know, we're making movies, we're making <laughs> yeah. money. Um, but, but But I don't know, it, it does seem like the – Maybe the most successful movies, at least the movies that last, not not the biggest box office hits of this year, Mm -hmm. but the movies that haunt the imagination for many years, certainly, uh, you know, traffic in meaning. Right. Right. A movie like Casablanca. Yep. You know, which was a B movie. It was almost like a throwaway movie. Right. It It was an afterthought. Uh, and that has so haunted the American imagination. But that's a movie about you have to make a choice. You can't just sit it out on the sidelines. You've got to step in and you know choose a side and and work for it, fight for it, sacrifice for where, it. Where would you put a movie like The Matrix in terms
0: of the genre of existentialism and case, and entertainment trying to merge?
1: I, honestly, I would say that's a triumph. That that say, is a yeah. great great movie. Uh, that certainly does have meaning. You know, many of us live, live these lives of quiet desperation uh, or, or just, you know, what's the word, somnolence? I mean, I mean yeah. we're asleep. You know, yeah. we, 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 we just, we're so consumed with the next thing we got to get that we never step out and look at that big picture. Yeah. Uh, well, and these days, this idea of getting red-pilled, yeah. you know, yeah. of sort of waking up to where you've been and, and realizing that what you thought was the sum total of reality wasn't, right uh you know really jives interesting we did
0: a mini focus group before launching this podcast uh and this might be reflective of the age of the people that we were speaking to but a lot of people gave the following names of movies uh as examples of movies that really left a long-term impact and changed their lives groundhog day rocky mm-hmm. again we all have struggles it seems like the world loves the underdog and the the notion of overcoming adversity is a universal theme and i think the, one of the other movies was mentioned was back to the future because people make we all screw up mm-hmm. and you wish want to shift f7 and go back and not Undo, it undue, yeah. undo,
1: undo. <laughs> How many levels of undo can I have? <laughs> exactly.
0: Do you think that that, that it's possible? Uh, you know, to, to again have a huge commercial success, but but really um, cause people to reflect and have many people reevaluate their lives as a result of a of a movie.
1: I, I'm sure it's possible. I, I, but I don't think that people reevaluate their lives. I, I think rarely because of one movie, right. you know. Although I, you know, let's—I take that back. I, I bet for any movie that has meaning packed within it, uh, there there is some group of people for whom that movie came at the right time. Yep. meaning they were already starting to think, "Who am I? What am I doing?" And they were ready. You know, they were they were ready to hear the message. And if they'd seen that movie or heard that message the year before right. might not have had that good point. you know that that, that on targetness
0: so uh, let's move move the discussion somewhat i think you and i are not quite in the millennial generation <laughs> maybe we're at the bookends of that um and you uh, you are a very articulate uh person and, a, and an outstanding storyteller if you had a podium and you were given the invidious mandate of imparting to an audience of millions of millennials two or three important pearls of life wisdom that you think genuinely um, if they embraced would ensure that they had uh, a more meaningful and more purposeful
1: life here's a really simple one yep you pass your colleague or your friend or your family member in the morning and they say how you doing yeah now, in our culture, the way that Americans use English, how you doing, is not a question.
0: Which was, by the way, just footnotes, as a non-American, it was an enormous culture shock <laughs> for me to realize that how you doing is a salutation they have could not care whether you're dropping dead.
1: Correct. But if you take it as a question, uh, and not as a cue to whine, right? <laughs> but rather answer with one word, how you doing? Grateful, I'm grateful. Maybe two words, I'm grateful. That's interesting. Um, First of all, it'll change your day, but even more, it will change the day of your companion because they're not expecting that answer. They, They will be stopped by it. And it is amazing. Excellent. How many conversations will flow out of that one moment just by taking it in a different direction than people expect. And, of course, it's the perfect direction. I, I, I think all spiritual practices begin with gratitude. Yep. Uh, but, you know, to intellectually say I need to practice gratitude is different than practicing gratitude. Yeah. And a way to practice gratitude is to say I'm grateful, right? right? Because, because words have so much power. Uh, another practice that I do, you know, in the in the Jewish prayer book, we read it you know, at least twice a day, and it is the fundamental statement of being a Jew, yeah, and you shall love the Lord your God right. with all your heart and soul. But how many people say, "I love you, God"? Very it, it, to most people, it's so foreign and so intangible, right? That they're so self-conscious. But I do it. I do it when yeah. I when I pray in the morning. At some point, I'll say, "I love you, God," and I try to, you know, you can combine these two things. Uh, you can have a gratitude alarm on your phone. Yep. Pick a convenient time in the day when you can give God 30 seconds. We're not asking for an hour or half an hour or even a minute, 30 seconds. Yep. The alarm goes off. Thank you, God. I love you. That's Uh, it. And and then it can become a breast love practice if you find that you have a little bit more than 30 seconds and you could just check in with God and talk a little bit. How are you doing? Things are tough for me today. I'm stressed out. I set this alarm. I said, I would talk to you. It feels weird to talk to you. I don't know what to say but now you're in relationship. I, could, I, couldn't, uh, I couldn't agree with you more. I'm, mm-hmm.
0: I'm uh, certainly subscribed. I've told many people that I'm convinced that that's one of the reasons why uh, God created Bluetooth. So when you at the traffic lights and you know, you're speaking to yourself, the person next to you doesn't think you're completely nuts. <laughs> exactly. and, and I think I've read a lot of you know, self-help and a lot of, uh, a lot of research has been done on taking 21 days or 30 days Keep a journal for just that amount of time so it's not overwhelming. And at the end of each day, just jot down three things that, that you can be grateful for. Yeah, you st- One starts to recalibrate because one realizes that tomorrow I need to jot down and you start seeing the world where instead of counting the other person's uh, you know, bank account, you start counting your blessings.
1: Yeah. Anthony, I have a question for you. Sure. You're a rabbi. Uh, I've been thinking about this lately. I like to say to God, how are you doing? Yes, And I don't mean it as a salutation, I'm asking. And now I, I'm perfectly aware that God is probably not gonna answer me. Mm-hmm. I'm not a prophet, He doesn't speak to me in the language of words. I do believe he speaks to all of us in the language of events. Yep. However, I think that since God has already told us in the Torah that he is an emotional being. right? He gets angry and he gets pleased. Both things are in the Torah. As an emotional being, as someone who feels emotions, per God, yeah, uh, can you imagine what it's like to run a world that has so many ungrateful people in it? So many people, like, imagine if your kids went out and committed a terrible crime, yeah. how you would feel? Yeah. Okay. Well, he's got billions of children, and, and some number of them commit terrible things, and some subset of them do it in the name of God. It must it, suck. It, okay.
0: So, so you know, you touched on so many amazing things, and I get asked this quite often. So yeah. can I touch on one, uh, yeah. a few things that you said? Even though we perhaps talk about it in an allegorical sense, you touch on on two very important things. Why does it say you? The reason why we don't speak about God, so to speak, in the third person, is because it's a very personal relationship. It's not an old wise man at the end of a cloud. Right. So it, he it clearly involved in your life, whether you are uh, Jewish, whether you are Christian, whether you, the one universal concept seems to be the notion of our father why a father and the notion and the feeling is a father is benevolent altruistic loves you doesn't judge you and what a, what i i get a sort of a, a heaviness in my heart when i speak at different events and i hear people's perception of whatever they can't perceive of as uh, some Huge power that's out to punish me, that's out to get <coughs> me, and it's if you live a life like that, uh, you know, it's hard to have a relationship with the the notion of a being that's that's punitive,
1: right? Instead, it's a being who feels everything we feel, every loss we experience, he feels that too. Yeah, um, and I guess what I was asking you as a rabbi, it, there's nothing wrong with feeling compassion for
0: God. No, it's it's a very interesting. Mm-hmm. It's a, this we're delving into a, quite an interesting metaphysical uh, th- topic, but there is a notion of Aria Kaplan actually wrote the book. If you were God, imagine having created the perfect world, and then over millennia see people self-destruct, yeah. see people pursuing, and I, <clears throat> the way you know I've I've tried to help people is to say that there's when one wakes up in the morning, <clears throat> there's two drives. What do you feel like doing? As opposed to, what do you want? Do I feel like if I was wanting to run the, uh, a marathon, do I feel like getting up at five o'clock in the morning, putting on my sneakers, what do I want? I wanna set a goal and achieve it. The language of feel versus want is the language of the body versus the soul. Mm. And at the end of the day, it's about whether the jockey is going to harness the horse, meaning the body, or vice versa. And I've uh, I've counselled a number of people over, especially the last uh, you know period of months and years, of folks who are addicted to pornography. One theme that I've heard from all of the, uh, all of these folks is a, a a feeling of shame, and a feeling of uh, sort of such re- uh, regret. Because at the moment there's there's a, a rush and a lust, but afterwards, we want to feel good about ourselves, and and again that's really comes from calibrating, trying to live your life, following what you what you want, not what you feel like doing, mm. and it's a struggle. Um, it's a good sort of jump point point to uh, for me to ask you something that I've, I've you one of the one of the people that's appropriate to ask us to, and that is. I've been around the investment industry. You know, I've, I've be, in different capacities, have sort of represented the, uh, you know, business management. Uh, very prominent people. It's almost taboo. Uh, in, in in this generation, to talk about a
1: spiritual quest, it's almost taboo to talk about God. To. Uh, I think it's taboo to talk about God, but everyone's talking about spirituality. It's funny, like you could say the same concepts, and then you say. And the Buddhist master so and so said, Oh, beautiful. That, I, I want to learn all about that. That God is a three-letter word. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know. Um, because I do think that people are uh spiritually inclined, m- yeah. much more than than the media would have you believe. Yeah, I agree. I would absolutely I, agree. I think people are inherently looking for meaning, wanting to know that what they do matters, what they say matters. The life they've lived matters. Yeah, uh, and what's going to make it matter? You know? So, I, I, in pre- in
0: preparing for this show, I, I, I looked at a couple of the um, the videos you've done, and I was actually taken aback. You were walking. Correct me if I'm wrong. You are walking along Hollywood Boulevard with a with a camera crew and and asking people some pretty vexed life issues, and people were engaged. I mean, I would think that. 2019 Hollywood Boulevard people would think what's this whack job putting this microphone <laughs> and they were uh, to me that that spoke volumes that people you know people want meaning people 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 really are are jolted by the sobering reality that you know we're not here to gather a bunch of toys and go into a box and get eaten by worms
1: yeah i think you know, people get nervous around God talk, right? right. Because they right. assume, and with probably good reason, that if somebody's talking to them about God, then that person is wagging a finger and, and saying, changed. the reason I'm talking about God is because you should feel about God right. the way I'm about to tell you. Right, right? in and, a prophesizing and, way. And, and and you should change your actions to be like this, right? Right. Um, but 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 God is much bigger than that and much more open than that. And if you're if, if what we're really asking is who are we, why are we here? Yeah. What are we gonna do about that today? Uh, then I think that's a question that really interests everybody. Nina always says, um, you know, there's two kinds of people, the people who get into conversations online at the supermarket and yep. the people who don't. <laughs> I'm guessing that you're the kind who does. <laughs> definitely, <laughs> definitely, very much. As am I. And, and so I've gotten into, all my life, I've just gotten into conversations with strangers. And what I, what I find fascinating, is that strangers are more interested in suddenly finding themselves in a conversation about big life questions I, I, I than about thing. sports or traffic or weather you know if you want to talk about sports or traffic or the weather then you're a weirdo you know because you don't know them and why should you why should they talk to you that's right? so true but if you ask a que- about a big question you're like oh you want to make this next few moments valuable i get that let's do that it's interesting. I, I find that as well.
0: In fact, I'm not. Yes, you know, I'm not the kind of person that we interchange on platitudes about the weather, and I I think there's there there is universal struggles that people go through, and I think there's something um, there's something special about knowing that other people can empathize with the plight of people struggle. It's not easy, yeah. you know. Life has has a lot
1: of downs for everyone. Yeah for everyone.
0: So I I I want to obviously be respectful uh of time and and maybe a good way to bring a uh, full circle uh is to ask you this you're a thinking guy, you're a, you're a smart guy, you're uh, an out of the box guy and I mean that in a completely positive way. I think I am I am too um Moses aside if I gave you 5 minutes with anyone in the world dead or alive. Do you have a sense of who the, uh, that person would be, and, and and why? What what would you want to ask them? Because I think that's very telling about.
1: Uh, you know, who- I, I would I would want to meet my grandfathers, both died before I was born. Wow, that's interesting. My my mother's father uh, was murdered in the Holocaust and perished at Dachau. Wow. Uh, he was Hungarian, and my father's father died at the same age that I am now, fifty three. Oh you know, tragically young, sudden stroke out of nowhere. Um, wow. They were both doctors. My, mother, my maternal grandfather was a veterinarian. My paternal grandfather was a pediatrician. And it, it does vex me a little that I, you know, I, I, I don't know where I come from mm-hmm. in the sense that I don't know these guys. I do think it's interesting that you, you don't know what your great grandfather was like, right? I Did don't. You, None of us do. You know? right. Even if we were at a young age, we met him. Maybe we know a little bit, but not our great-great-grandfather, right? Right. But it's entirely possible, if not likely, that your great, 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 grandson will know exactly what you're like because he'll hear this recording. The fact that we're making recordings and we have video. That's an unbelievable observation. Et cetera, is 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 amazing. You know, that that, that our descendants will know much more about where they came from. Uh, and I would encourage everybody to make sure that, you know, there's video of themselves that will last that's for the a, sake of the descendants. That's terrific,
0: terrific suggestion. And it's a good, uh, good point for us to, to wrap up. Sal, in a great honor, pleasure. I look forward to continue to work with you. And uh, until we next meet again, keep your feet on the ground, reach for the stars. It's Anthony Gordon, thank you. you you're Lovely. Very, e- very easy conversations there, yeah, Sal. You're very, you know, very natural. What's what, what? It's
1: terrible when you have a guest that you have to
0: like pull it out. No, of you them, right? your, <laughs> what's, what's your what's your next gig, buddy? What's your what's your, well, two things. Hmm. The, uh, the, that's one, and two. I hinted something to you.